This past week I was reflecting on this year and thinking about big announcements that took place. And I thought about July 8th and LeBron James. Yes, he was announcing the fact that he was going to go from the Cleveland Cavaliers to the Miami Heat. He just didn't send out a simple press release. He didn't have a simple press conference. No, he had a TV special to make this monumental announcement. And uh, he got the word out, no doubt. And overkill would be a great word to use to describe that whole uh, extravaganza. Yeah, if you want to get the word out today, you get into the news media, right? Well, it's interesting that uh, LeBron's Nickname is The King, as you'll see in this poster. The King. Now we're going to be talking about a different king today, King Jesus, and the announcement that was made about his coming into this world. We're in a series entitled Signs of the Season. Last week we talked about the wise men and the fact that they weren't at the nativity scene. How many move their wise men away from the nativity scene. All right, we have a few converts. That warms my heart. And uh, how many move somebody else's wise men? Okay, that's even better. We cannot do it on our own. We've got to help other people change, even if they don't want to change. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, the shepherds and signs of hope. I encourage you to bring your Bibles every Sunday to Springbrook. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, the classic Christmas story. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. You can almost hear Linus's voice, can't you? Reading that, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. We've read this many times uh, throughout the years. We're going to go a little deeper as we study the Christmas story here. So let's take a look at the shepherds. Who were the shepherds? Well, the shepherds weren't at the top of the social ladder. They weren't even on the social ladder. Uh, they were on the ground. Uh, they didn't get a whole lot of respect. It's a very simple job. Remember David in the Old Testament? He was just a kid, and he was taking care of the sheep. Pretty much anybody could do it. Uh, didn't get paid a lot of money. On top of that, you were considered unclean by the Old Testament ceremonial laws because you dealt with animals. And so people just kind of looked down on you because of that. And then on top of that, they had a reputation of being unreliable and untrustworthy and thieves and liars. In fact, they couldn't even testify in court. Can you imagine that? Giving the greatest news on earth to people who couldn't testify in court. Why did God do that? Well, he did that because he wanted to send a message <clears throat> to the world. And that was that he loved everybody. And he was very attentive to people who knew that they had needs. And that's what the shepherds were. They had needs. You think about who Jesus Christ hung around with. What was his crowd? Well, you have prostitutes and tax collectors who were considered to be traitors, and you have drunkards, and the list goes on. They were sinners, and Jesus Christ was roundly criticized by this, by the Pharisees and other religious 
leaders. But Jesus went to people who needed him, who knew they needed him. Maybe you're here today and you feel out of place. You look around, you haven't been to church for a while, maybe, and you say, all these people are so holy. Well, you don't know us. (laughs) We're not as holy as you think. And these people know so much about the Bible, and these people know so much, so, so much about uh, their relationship uh, with God, and I don't know anything. My friends, if Jesus Christ walked through that door at this time, he would sit next to you because you are the most needy. You're the one who feels like you don't fit. That's who Jesus Christ loves and wants to reach out to. Well, the shepherds were special people. And they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now the question always comes up when you look at this particular passage is, when did Christmas take place? When was the Christ child born? Well, we're not sure. We're not even sure of the year. Somewhere between 4 and 6 B.C. Scholars believe Christ was born. 4 and 6 B.C., And the month, well, we celebrate it on December 25th, but that's because the bishop of Jerusalem wrote to the bishop of Rome and said, what day was Christ born on? And the bishop of Rome wrote back and said, December 25th. Now, where did he get that date from? Well, there was a pagan festival called Centralia, which was the worship of the sun god, And what they did during the month of September, they wanted warmth like we do. So they worshiped the sun god, hoping that the warmth would come sooner. And they had festivities that included all kinds of eating. It included all kinds of gift giving. And included decorating their homes with evergreens. That sound familiar? (laughs) Well, yeah, those traditions have been passed down through the centuries. The Roman bishop, what he wanted to do was to sanctify that pagan celebration, which also had elements of Mardi Gras in it, you know what I mean? Uh, It's a very pagan celebration, and so he wanted to kind of bring it under the Christian fold. Well, it didn't work very well, but uh, the date stuck. Some people think, well, it was between April and November because that's when shepherds were out in their fields uh, with the flocks. That could be. A lot of people lean toward April. Bottom line, we don't know. But the point is, is we know that Jesus Christ was born, that he lived on this earth. Well, we go on to verse 9 here. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I can imagine the shepherds out there at night. Their main form of entertainment was sharing stories back and forth. They played the flute once in a while, and they had a fascination with angels. Another shepherd went out, another shepherd might say, may you see the fluttering of angel wings tonight. I think that's cool how God communicated with the shepherds. They loved angels, so he showed them angels. The wise men, they loved stars, so they showed them. He showed them a star. God communicates to us in our own language. They're just kind of sitting around, an ordinary night, and all of a sudden, boom, an angel shows up. It wasn't like angels showed up every day. (laughs) It had been a half a millennia since angels had appeared. Over 500 years since God had communicated with man. So this was really, really special. In fact, 
we look at what angel this might be. Now we know that Gabriel spoke to Zacharias. We know that Gabriel spoke to Mary. So maybe it was Gabriel, the archangel, the head honcho, who came to bring the good news. And so there he was, the angel in all its brilliance. It also says here, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord. Now what is that? Well, last week I talked about the star over Bethlehem. And I believed it was the Shekinah glory of God. Now, God is invisible. God doesn't have a body. Now, Jesus Christ has a glorified body, so Jesus Christ could walk into this auditorium today, and we could see him and interact with him, but God doesn't have a body. In fact, when you look throughout scriptures, God is manifested through light. Remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai and getting the commands of the Lord, the law, and God showed him himself? What did, what did Moses see? He just saw glimpses of light, the backside of God. You see, if he would have seen all of God, he would have died. But he just got a hint <clears throat> of who God was. And that's really what the Shekinah glory is. It's a manifestation of God. Not the full manifestation, but just a partial manifestation. Remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament when the Israelites were in the wilderness and God was dwelling in the Holy of Holies. So the Shekinah glory of God came down into the tabernacle, this, permanent, or this temporary worship facility, and into the Holy of Holies where God resided. And then, of course, it would guide them by fire at night or by a cloud uh, during the day. That was the glory of God. And when the temple was built in Jerusalem by Solomon, then again you saw the Shekinah glory coming into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. And sadly enough, during the time of Ezekiel, because of Israelites' rebellion, the Shekinah glory left. That was a very sad time. So the glory of God hadn't been seen in a long time, but I believe we see it here. Not only was the angel there, but the glory of God, God's presence was there. And how did they respond? Well, they were terrified. They were terrified. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt that your life was in danger? Raise your hand. Felt your life was in danger. Yeah, a lot of us have been there. Uh, maybe an accident, medical emergency, a fire. Maybe somebody robbed you. I can remember 15 years ago when my wife gave birth to my son Thomas and she started to bleed internally and we really thought that we were going to lose her and that was the most terrifying moment in my life I remember it so clearly how scared I was thankfully God preserved her life and in fact just on Friday we celebrated our 22nd anniversary so we rejoice that <clears throat> thank you very much you can thank her <laughs> for all the grace she's shown me over these 22 years. But beyond the gift of salvation, my wife, Lori, is the best gift that God has ever given me. And I uh, thank the Lord and praise him for that. But yeah, we've all had that moments, those moments of terror. And it doesn't feel very comfortable. Well, I tell you what, no matter how much terror we felt, I think 
what the angels, or excuse me, the shepherds experienced was much, much more than that. Uh, coming in contact uh, with the angels and God himself. We look at verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I'm sure they had an angelic handbook. And one of the rules was, whenever you confront a mortal, say, do not be afraid. Because they're freaking out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're going like, whoa, I can't believe it. I'm going to die. Remember when Isaiah was approached by God? He said, woe to me. <laughs> I'm gone. And Ezekiel, he just fell into a coma. John in Revelation, he just fell over. I mean, it's just, just too unbelievable and uh, hard for any mortal to uh, be able to respond normally to that. So the first thing that God says and angels say is, hey, it's okay. Don't be afraid. We're here for good news, for grace, and for love. Just settle down. Got some good stuff for you here. I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. That's what Christmas is all about. The good news of Jesus Christ. There will be some good news this week. For you or I. Maybe for the Bears one today, huh? That'd be some good news. Oh, last Sunday, that was so painful. <laughs> After the first half, I was thinking, how bad is it going to get? But there are much more important things, obviously. I heard that Jason and Mary Beth Brown gave birth to a baby girl this week, Grace. So that's something really to celebrate. That's good news. Good news is when people get engaged to be married or when people are married in a ceremony. Uh, good news is when uh, you get a new house or get a new job. Yeah, that would be good news, right? Or a promotion or a financial windfall. I mean, the list goes on and on of things that we can celebrate in life. But nothing, nothing compares. Everything pales in comparison to the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that he came to this earth to dwell among us, the good news of what he gave up in order that we might live and have a relationship with God. And this good news brings great joy when a person decides to become a Christ follower and it sinks in in their life, the reality, the fact that, oh, I'm a follower of God, I I am a child of God. I'm going to spend eternity with Him. Oh, that's, that's unbelievable joy. Do you remember that? If you're a Christ follower, you remember after you made that decision and the joy that sweeped over your life? Well, that's what it's talking about here. Great joy comes from the good news of Jesus Christ for all people. All people. Every person on this earth has the opportunity respond to this good news we go on in verse 11 today in the town of david that's bethlehem david grew up in bethlehem that's hometown a savior has been born to you he is christ the lord he is christ which means the anointed one the messiah the chosen one the messiah has come and he is lord six thousand times in the old testament lord with a capital l refers to God. And here it's saying, Jesus is God. And that's a 
fundamental belief that we hold so dearly to. There are many people that love Jesus but don't think that he's God. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, other cults, they say, hey, we love Jesus. We love the life that he lived, the model that he was. He was such a great teacher. Ah, Jesus is great, but he wasn't a God. Wrong. Jesus was the God, the only God. And that's what we cling to from God's Word. And that's the foundation for our belief about our salvation. Christ the Lord, the Messiah and God. And He's our Savior. Jesus means one who saves. He's our Savior. Now, a lot of people <clears throat> use that word in a lot of different ways. They'll say, well, Jesus saved my marriage. My marriage was on the rocks. We were constantly fighting and bickering. And there was no hope left in Jesus saved my marriage. Or other people might say, well, Jesus saved me from an addiction. An addiction to drugs or alcohol or pornography. He saved me from that. Well, it's true. Jesus empowers us to deal with difficult issues in our life. But friends, when you see that Jesus Christ is called Savior, there's only one thing He's saving you from. He's saving you from eternal punishment because of your sin. That's the only thing in that context that He's saving you from. He's rescuing you. He's delivering you from that. We need to remember that. That's the fundamental truth here. The good news that I don't have to spend eternity being punished for my sin. But that I can live with God because of what Jesus Christ did for me. Now since we're talking about good news today, I was thinking about this this past week, and the Lord impressed upon my heart that I just want to lay it out for you here. I want to make sure that everyone here understands the core truth of the good news. Now, I want to ask you a question that I've asked before. But if you were to die tonight and go to heaven, and God asks you, why should I let you in my heaven, what would you say? Okay, God is asking you, hey, what are you doing here? Why do you think you should get in? Just take a moment and think about that. What's your answer? What are you going to say to God? Verbalize it. Think about it. I'm going to ask you to analyze it in a moment. What are you going to say to God? Why should I be led into heaven? All right. Got your answer? Now, if your answer included anything about your good works, your performance record, your abilities, anything that had to do with you and what you've done in this life and how good a person you've been, you just gave the wrong answer to God. Because that does not save a person. Many times people will say, well, yeah, I, I've accepted Jesus Christ, but I'm a good person as well. And, and they really believe in Jesus saving them and good works saving them. And friends, if you're depending on your good works to save you, you're not saved. You're still lost. So 
Today, I think, is a good day to straighten that out. And when I ask this question to other people, they'll try to go back and defend it. And I'll say, hey, listen, if that was the first thing out of your mouth, if your response had been to that question, if God asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? You said, it's only because of what Jesus Christ did for me. And I've accepted the free gift of salvation or something of that nature. If that was your answer, you're right on. You're a Christ follower. But if you had any thread of good works in there, you got to ask the question, have I really become a Christ follower? Now, again, people misunderstand. Good works come after you become a Christ follower. They naturally flow out of your lives, but they have nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is only by Christ alone. You were born a sinner, and then you just manifested in your life. You're a sinner by nature. And the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says we cannot earn our relationship with God. Many people want to come to God with their good works and their reputation and who they are and say, God, I'm an acceptable person. And no, you're not. You're not acceptable. That's your main problem. You come to God empty-handed with nothing. And you say, God, I got nothing, okay? I am a sinner. I've rebelled against you. I deserve eternal punishment. But I'm so thankful that you sent Jesus Christ down into this world as a baby, a person who is fully God and fully man. Hard for us to fathom, but it's true. Fully God and fully... Man, and one thing you need to realize is that Jesus Christ needed to live a perfect life to be the perfect sacrifice. If he had sinned once, then it wouldn't matter if he died on the cross because he needed to completely fulfill the law found in the Old Testament. Because, you see, if he broke any of that law, he would have needed a Savior in a sense, right? But he lived perfectly because he was God. And then he was executed by God. He was executed by God. That's simply it. He was executed by God for us. He took our sin upon himself. He was our perfect representative. He was perfect in the sense that he was God, but he also was a man so he could represent us. And he died in our place. He took the penalty for us so that we wouldn't have to spend eternity separated from him. That is the essence of the good news of the gospel. He came to reconcile us to God. He came to give us peace with God. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what they were singing about. That's what they were proclaiming, the angels. Not just that a baby was born, but no. The answer to man's problem and his relationship with God. You say, well, Dan, well, then how do I become a Christ follower? Well, again, back to the basics. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Can't get to heaven by my good works. Doesn't mean anything to God. So what you need to do is you need to believe that Jesus Christ died for you. He paid your penalty that you should have paid. But he took your place. And that by doing that, He provided a way of salvation. He provided you a free gift, a free pass to heaven. If you'll just embrace the gift that he's given, if you just accept it, if you believe in him and believe 
that that's what he did for you and that he rose again and that he's living today, if you make that decision, then you'll know that you are a Christ follower, that your life has been changed, your eternity has been changed. Now I want to take a few moments here to give those of you an opportunity who may be the Holy Spirit's talking to you and say, hey, I don't know if you've made that decision. You've been holding on to your good works. Going back to your original answer to the question I asked you, it was tainted with good works. Well, well, let's clean that up, okay? Let's get rid of the good works and say, hey, i got nothing here. I'm a sinner, can't do anything. And I just throw myself at your feet and ask for your mercy and grace. Are you there? Is that what's been going through your mind? Has the Spirit been saying now's the time to make this clear and definitive? Are you ready to make that decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and experience the good news in your life? Maybe for years you've thought, hey, everything's cool with me. That's the problem is that there's so many people and so many different types of churches. And these churches are teaching good works. They're saying, hey, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this. And they think they're going to heaven, and they're not. Because they're trusting in their good works. You can become a Christ follower right now. I'm going to say a prayer. which kind of sums up everything I've talked about. And I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. If, again, you feel led by the Spirit. And again, if you've already prayed this prayer, don't pray it again. Okay, if everything makes sense to you that I just said, and yeah, I've done that, you don't have to pray it again. Some of you come out of religious traditions, I just pray over and over and over again. Hey, one-time decision. You, get, you just get married once. You don't have to go through the ceremony every day. Okay? So don't pray it again. All right? But if you say, hey, this makes sense to me. I've been trusting in my good works, not in Jesus Christ. I'm a sinner. I can't do anything on my own. I want you to repeat these words after me. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my good works cannot save me. Lord, I put my faith in you. I repent of my sin. And I ask you to forgive me. I pray that you would save me from the punishment of sin. Thank you for the work that Jesus did on the cross for me. And I accept it. Thank you for making me a part of your family. Now, let's keep our heads bowed. If you made that decision, I'd like you just to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you made that decision. Just keep it up there. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. Lord, I want to thank you, though, for those who have made that decision to follow you today. I pray, Lord, that they would be just overcome with joy at their decision of freedom to have a relationship with you, to know where they're headed eternally and how their lives can be transformed here on earth. Lord, I pray that uh, 
we might be able to encourage them and lift them up during this time. In Christ's name, amen. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, wonderful to see some people who've made that decision. And I want you to take out uh, your message notes at this time. It's a green slip of paper. Could you hand that to me? Sorry. Thank you. Yeah, take out this message. I want everybody to do this, okay, because we're going to do a little survey here. So take out your message notes. Everybody hold it up. All right. Very good. Excellent. I want you to crease it where it says survey. All right. And I want you to tear it off. Okay, while we're doing that, let's look at uh, our next verse here. I'm going to look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what, that's what some of you just did, right? You believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, that he was, died and raised, rose again, and now you have a relationship with him. Now, if you made that decision, what does it say here? You need to confess with your mouth, right? You need to tell somebody. So I want you to write your name down if you made that decision. Please do this, Okay. Let me know that you've made this decision. I'd love to follow up with you and encourage you. So write your name down and circle it. Okay, that will define it from something else I'm going to do with this survey. But write your name down if you made that decision today and circle it and then be sure to put your email so I can follow up with you. All right, so confess the fact that you've made this decision. Now, secondly, uh, we have almost been in our building for five years. Coming up in January here, time has flown and... We're so excited about what God has done in people's lives. And we try to keep track of people who have made decisions to follow Christ, but sometimes we miss those things. And so we're trying to put a list together of everybody who's been influenced by the ministry of Springbrook over the past five years since we moved into our building. It's an easier way to remember it. So anybody who came into a relationship with Christ is a Christ follower during that particular time, they made that decision. Maybe it was in Awana, maybe in Kids of the Kingdom, maybe in the youth ministry, maybe in our services, maybe in a small group or another type of setting. But you know of somebody that was here at Springbrook at some point during the last five years who made a decision. Please write their name down, okay? Then write down your email. And we're going to try to compile a list for two reasons. Number one, we want to celebrate what God has done in bringing people to himself through us. In our ministry with him and then we also want to make sure that these people are followed up on sometimes a person can make that decision and then nobody disciples them nobody follows up with them encourages them in their faith and that probably is the most important thing we want to do is make sure that they're being cared for so please do that take that time uh, to fill that out and put that in the offering basket also I'm going to ask you in a moment to put down somebody you want to invite out for Christmas Eve so please do that put somebody's name down we'll talk about that in a moment we continue on with our uh, story here. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. So, there to look for this baby. Now, wrapped in claws, well, every baby was wrapped in claws. That doesn't help a whole lot. In fact, they did something interesting back in those days is they would take uh, the claws and they would wrap each limb. So they'd wrap this arm, this arm, this leg, this leg individually, and they'd wrap it really tight because they thought that wrapping it really tight helped these limbs to grow straight. Go figure. All right? And then they also wrap the body. So they wrap the whole baby then on top of that. 
But every baby was wrapped by that, so doesn't help. But lying in a manger, there's a kicker. <laughs> okay. All right. You got to look for a baby, and it's in a feed trough. <laughs> okay, that should be a little easier. <laughs> Not many babies in a feed trough. And I think sometimes, you know, we look at the manger up here, and we've got these cute little mangers and the nativity scene. It takes away from the reality of it. Think about it this way. Let's say you have a Great Dane at home, you know, those miniature horses. You see walking down the street, saying, why in the world would they buy something like that? But, uh, yeah, Great Dane. Anybody have, has a Great Dane? I apologize for the last comment. But, uh, yeah, so the Great Dane, I mean, they have like a huge food dish. Can you imagine what kind of food dish? Can you imagine how much money it costs to feed that horse? All right? So you have a baby. You and your spouse have a baby. You bring the baby home. This food dish is covered with slobber and all that kind of stuff. And you, you put the food dish up on the table and you put the baby right in that food dish. That's a manger. <laughs> okay? You never put... The baby in the food dish. You got the Taj Mahal down the hall that you've set up for the last year and a half. <laughs> right? You put the baby in opulence, uh, not a food dish. And Jesus Christ is putting a food dish. Uh, like we saw in the video, he came to get messy, right? That's yeah, a messed up world. And he came to fix things, to heal things. So we go on in verse 13 and 14. Suddenly a great company... Uh, the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Okay. Now you got the angels freaking out because they had one angel. <laughs> and now they've got a multitude. In the Greek, it's thousands upon thousands. Thousands was the highest uh, number in the Greek language. Thousand. So they said thousands upon thousands. Hyperbole. They just fill the sky in the glory of God. What a light show. And these guys are just overwhelmed. I think to a certain, a certain point, they probably started to enjoy it uh, after they got over the initial kind of like jolt of seeing an angel. And these angels were singing glory to God in the highest because that's what it's all about, right? It's not about us. It's about God. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. On earth, peace to men. It's not talking about world peace. It's talking about being reconciled with God, right? On whom his favor rests. God loves us. So what's going on here? Well, you got to think about the context. These angels were created thousands of years before, and they had worshipped Jesus Christ for all those years. Jesus Christ was on the throne, and they knew everything that was going on. They knew about Lucifer, who was the highest created being. The most powerful angel who rebelled against God and took a third of the demons or the angels with him who became demons. They knew about that. They knew about Adam and Eve. How God had created man. They knew how Adam and Eve had fallen and rebelled against God. They knew the sorry state of this world. They knew about the Israelites and how they were back and forth and just not following God. They knew how messed up things were. And now, Jesus Christ, who they've been praising for thousands of years had come down to this earth as a baby. <laughs> wow, isn't that amazing? I mean, from their perspective, God is really doing something special here. So, you know, they always got this party going on in heaven. You know that, right, from Revelation and other passages. It's a 24-7 party. So they went on tour and they brought the party to earth. That's right, to the wilderness. They said, hey, we're going down there. We're going to make some noise. And the shepherds were the recipients of seeing a heavenly party 
right there outside of Bethlehem. They were praising God because they fully appreciated more than anybody else, more than Mary, Joseph, Zacharias, Elizabeth, uh, Simeon, all the people that we've talked about. They appreciated what was going on, and they were just flying, right? They were just caught up in praising the Lord. What a wonderful thing that must have been. We don't fully appreciate God's grace, do we? We continue to learn about it. We look in verse 15. When the angels had left them, you imagine all, you know, you got this light show going on, and all of a sudden, boom, it's gone. What happened? The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. In the original language, it's an imperfect tense, which means it was a continuous type of talking. They're going back and forth. Back. Oh, can you, they're all wired. <laughs> can you believe that? I can't, can you see that? See that? Well, yeah, I can't believe it. And then, oh, what are we going to do? We're going to do it. You can say here. You can say, I'm not saying here. You're going to. It kind of went on and on. You know, these guys, they want to go. They want to see. About a two-mile walk, probably, from where they were at. They want to see this baby. So they went to see the baby. How did they find the baby? Well, they had a network probably there. They knew people in Bethlehem, started asking questions. I mean, again, the manger was the key. <laughs> okay. Have you seen a baby in a manger, in a feed trough? And eventually, uh, they were led to Mary and Joseph, as we see in verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And there it was. That's exactly what was told them. And then it goes on in the next verse. But it's interesting when you start to speculate about, okay, what did they say to each other? You know, the shepherds come rushing in, and there's the baby, and I can imagine they just stood there for a while and just kind of marveled, and then they started to tell their story about this party going on out there with all the angels, and Mary and Joseph were saying, wow, that's incredible. (laughs) It's just another confirmation that this is the Messiah and that he's very, very special. And then Mary and Joseph shared their respective stories, possibly. And it was just a wonderful, intimate moment there of these people who had something so beautiful in common that God had told them about his plan. And so eventually they they left. So we see that in verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning about what had been told them about this child. And we look in verse 18. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So, I mean... They were just thrilled. They were pumped up. They wanted to get the message out. So they went to everybody. They were waking people up that they knew and said, Oh, man, we got to tell you, we were out in the wilderness, and all of a sudden one angel and a multitude of angels, and we came in and we saw the baby and Mary and Joseph, and they went on and on and on, and people were amazed. I don't know if they believed him or not, but they were amazed at what they were saying. Right here in Bethlehem? I mean, they were overtaken by it. And friends, that needs to be our response as Christ followers. We need to be amazed at what God did for us and what God wants to do for other people. And we've got to want to tell people about it. We need to fire up our passion for evangelism, for telling people the good news about Jesus, and what better time than Christmas to do it? Think about this past year. How many times did you have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus? How many people even know that you're a Christ follower? 
That's the first step, right? Yeah, I'm with him. I'm a Christ follower. Are you, are you that far yet? How many times have you told somebody that I go to church? In fact, I go to church regularly. Or I serve. Or, or do you keep that stuff under wraps? Well, hey, stop it. You've got to get the good news out, man. You've got to tell people what God is doing in your life. And I want to give you a real simple way to do that. And that's to invite people out to our Christmas Eve service. Our services this week. We've got two of them. We've got one on Friday, Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock. And we have another one on Thursday at 7 o'clock. Thursday at 7 o'clock. And the reason we included this service is we want to give you an opportunity to bring your friends out. And usually on Christmas Eve, people have a lot of things going on, family traditions. But Thursday, they might not. So what I want to challenge each of you to do, if you're a part of our family here, I want you to invite someone out to our Christmas Eve service. All right, how many have already invited somebody? Good, but not good enough. Okay, got a lot of work to do. Yeah, so take out your green slip, your survey that I asked you to look at, and I want you to write down the name of the person you're going to invite. And we'll pray over that person. Again, it's easy. I know it's difficult for some people, but all you're asking them to is the one event that most Christians are supposed to go to. That's a Christmas Eve service. It's the most expected thing. It's the one event that most people will say yes to because they're expected to do it. Uh, Yeah. And what's the worst thing they can do? You think they're going to throw a punch at you? I don't think so. I think they're either going to say yes or I'll think about it or they're going to say I'm busy. Okay, everybody understands you're busy at Christmas time. But all God asks you to do is make the invite. To say, hey, come hear about the good news. You don't want to say that. Just say, hey, come out to the Christmas Eve service. But what you're really saying is, come hear about the good news. <laughs> and it'll be a low-key service. I'm not going to go through a whole presentation like I did today. I felt this is a good time to do that. But we'll just we'll talk about, you know, the plan for salvation. But I uh, won't go into any type of challenge or anything. We're just going to let people know about the love of God. It's going to be a real special time. So again, be thinking about who you're going... It's a simple thing to do. Who you're going to invite out. And just ask them. And if they say, no, okay, I did my job. But let's take a a small step and get in the good news out. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time we've had today to celebrate the good news of your Son. It was fun today just to revisit what it must have been like when that party went on in the wilderness with all those angels just proclaiming this good news. And I pray that we would not be distracted. I pray that we would not take our eye off the ball. I pray that you would increase our passion and the passion of our family to get the good news out, to tell people about the love of the Lord. In Christ's name, amen. We could have our ushers come forward at this time to collect our gifts of the Lord. I again want to thank you for your generosity. I announced last week, but a lot of you weren't here because of the weather, that our family, through Operation Christmas Child and Thanksgiving Baskets and Angel Tree, rough estimate is we've given over $13,000 
the needy people this Christmas. Let's give the Lord a hand. Huh? You guys are great. God's working through you. No doubt, here's some pictures here from our Operation Christmas Trial. These were boxes that were put together by a lot of different people to go to needy kids around uh, the world. It was a simple box that brought a lot of joy. Thanks for your involvement and letting Christ work through you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your generosity. We've talked about it all morning, Lord. We're going to talk about it all week. Your incredible generosity to us through your Son. Lord, help us to continue to be generous by telling other people about the news that has transformed our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Mm -hmm.